You're listening to Podcasting Made Simple. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. For this episode's guide and resources, please visit podpros.com slash 212. And now let's get to the episode. Tracy, welcome back. I believe this is the fourth, fifth, or 300th time we've tried to record together. We're here. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much. I, I happy to talk to you anytime. So, you know, and we never say the same thing twice, you and I, which is one thing I love about uh, getting together with you. I already lost you. How did that happen? <laughs> you froze up, but I saw I heard you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to I'm going to keep that in here for yeah. this reason because of what I'm going to share next. The only thing that scares me about podcasting or speaking or anything cuz people ask me like, "Wow, Alex, you've done this a lot." And not to sound prideful at all, people are like, "What what makes you nervous?" There's only one thing, and it's the tech, because like there's just no telling if it's you can have the most expensive stuff in the world. Like I have, and not again. Like I'm thankful that I've worked my way to having like all the best gear, the best internet you can possibly buy. And sometimes you wake up and it's like not today, Alex. Right? So um, not today. I know it's crazy. It's wild, but anyway, I'm I'm really glad to have you here today, and we're just gonna jump straight into it with flaws and all, because I think that that's one of the beauties of podcasting, and I think that we share that love for it. Uh, I want to talk about your start in podcasting. That's where I want to jump into first, and I say that because I know that you had a really sexy start in podcasting. So you mind sharing your first show and kind of what got you into this whole industry? Yeah, I mean, not such a sexy topic, at least unless you're a real techie, <laughs> unless you're a real tech geek. So it's right. called WTFFF, and FFF stands for Fuse Filament Fabrication, which is a geeky term for 3D printing. And we started it in 2014 to 2015, like right around the cusp of the end of the year there. And it was one of those things where I'd been a podcast listener for a while already, and we wanted to go out and sort of test a market and and just check out and see if there was interest in some of this 3D print stuff in the space that we were in. And we thought, okay, well, let's start a podcast that's pretty low overhead. I didn't want to do video. I didn't want to have my hair done every day. And there wasn't live stream back then, so it wasn't as you know common. So that's how we got started. But really quickly, within about five months starting, we ended up featured in Forbes for being one of the fastest growing podcasts. And we got 100,000 listeners a month to our show. And we discovered just some usual things at that time. And everyone was like, what are you doing? And can you just do this for me? That's how we ended up in business too. (laughs) Right. You know, so today we're talking about the state of podcasting, the past, the the present and future of podcasting. And I, I'm taking a slightly different approach than we have in the past. I just want to kind of hear your journey. Now, clearly to to achieve what you achieved, like I made the joke being a sexy podcast, it just wasn't because everyone expected no. something way different when I said that if they didn't know your journey, right? You clearly brought something different to the table when you joined podcasting because that just doesn't happen. And sure, 3D printing was kind of like a little bit of a buzz, but still you brought something to the table when that would have been very hard to discover. Can can you just share what you came to the industry with and how on earth that happened for you? Well, one of the things is I didn't follow anybody's one course, one thing. Like that's just not my process because Tom and I were product developers and Tom Hazard's my partner and my husband, and we were doing our podcast together. So we co-hosted together. And 
we just really both, of course, divide and conquer. So he was going to take care of all the equipment. And I gave him all the videos to watch. Like I literally gave him like, you know, 10 different videos to watch about what equipment to use, what might be the best. And he figured it out because we had the co-host situation and we were in the same room. It was a little bit more complex. And I was like, I'm not going to have to deal with that. He'll deal with that. So that was a divide and conquer thing that really worked for us. And then the second part of it, though, is our product development process that we use involves a lot of upfront research and figuring out how to make what you're building, whatever it is, unique. And that unique selling proposition, whatever it is, has to be obvious because Tom and I used to design products that would go on the shelf at Walmart, Target, Costco. So there's no sale in that process. It's an unassisted sale. And so it has to sell itself right off the shelf. Like that's how we always design something. So we would design something that was so obvious in its features and benefits and why you should buy it, that it was just right there in front of you. So that's what we wanted with our podcast too. So we named it the way we did. Like every decision was made with this screening process in mind, but also a research on what everybody else was doing what everybody else recommended, and then reading between the lines because I read like five different books on podcasting and how to do it. And I followed a bunch of different videos and a bunch of different podcasts about it. What I started to see was there's was this pattern of what they weren't saying. And that's what we dove into. What they weren't saying to do was what we wanted to do. And so that's how we developed our sort of unique kit. So the three things that we did that were different is we did five days a week, absolutely did five days a week. And we didn't, because we didn't know who our listeners were going to be, we didn't decide on one listener. We didn't decide on this profile of the demographic we wanted. We went for five different listeners. So we actually had a different podcast almost every day of the week. Like it was Mondays were business focused and Tuesdays were tech focused and Wednesdays were educator focused and and Thursdays I were interviews. And then Fridays were this sort of like fun project, kind of like highlighting what we were going to work on over the weekend. And so we just did this model of it that allowed us to try five models of podcasting in a very short period of time. So within about two months, we had 40 episodes in and had enough data to decide what was going to work going forward for us. And that's really what we did so different. But that's a lot of work. Yeah. First off, I got to mention husband, wife team, that's my passion. I love it. Alicia and I are husband wife team as well. And I, always, I say this to people and be like, hey, how's it being in business with, with your wife? They ask me that a lot. I'm like, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And uh, the fact that, Tracy, that you, you all have been working together for so long and you're still a couple, not just business partners, says a lot. So congrats to you, by the way, first Thank and foremost. you. Yeah. <laughs> 30 years of marriage and we still don't get sick of working together. But you know, this is the thing, right? You complement each other. And so right. that's what, when somebody asked me that, I was like, well, we don't split the job. Like it's two different. And that brings though two heads are better than one. There's really no question about that. And it brings perspectives that I couldn't have done on my own. I love it. We got some, we got some relationship advice in here, everybody. So, (laughs) so stick with that. Uh, The next thing I want to mention is that you, you looked, I love how you said this, like you, you went through courses, books, and had Tom do a bunch of other stuff as well, right? And then you found what people weren't saying and dove in on that. But you also used your prior experience, which at first glance would have zero 
overlap into podcasting, but you had the foresight and I know, I know you have, uh, you had an ink column, uh, a column. But I ink, got sorry. that from my podcast. Oh, so did I actually you? Okay. wasn't a writer before. I mean, I wrote blogs before I was a blogger, but I didn't write articles for a magazine. I got that from the podcast within the first year. Well, innovation has followed you all the way through. Let's put it that way, because that's I know what you really talked a lot about. But it's so fascinating that you found that. Uh, I want to kind of transition into like, so this is kind of like the, your past of podcasting. Let's talk about today. Do you think that the approach you took to launch that show then by finding those gaps, by finding out what people weren't saying, by looking for how it would sell itself more or less, does that still work today? And is that how Podetize runs? Like, can you, can you talk to that point a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're always looking at the gaps. That's one thing that Podetize does. Like our company is always looking at the gaps, but we're looking at it from that independent business podcaster perspective. We're not looking at it from the media conglomerate perspective. That's a totally different model. And when we take advice from that, and that's not how we're using things, it's never going to work for us. You know, we can't do what Joe Rogan can do. And we can't do what, you know, a really funny comedian can do. You know, it's just not who we are. But that doesn't mean that we can't serve and we can't find a spot for ourselves and a model that will work for our business. We can. And that's what we focus on. So we really are always looking for those things and, and where those gaps are and what, because most people don't think of them. So they don't think to fill them. And then we look for patterns. And I actually have a textile design degree. Most people don't know that, but I not, not only did I design products, but I have a textile design degree. And ever since I was a child, my mom will tell the story of like, I could identify when something was wrong with a pattern of something. So when something didn't resonate, when it wasn't right, and so when you're making fabric, you're weaving and it's a loom. And my mom would be like, hey, you know, there's something wrong and I don't know what's wrong. And I would be like, oh, you're missing that one right there. You're missing that thread right there. She'd be like, how did you see that? There's thousands of them and you saw the one that was missing. It's my gift. It's what I do. And so when we look at the patterns of things and we have enough data now because we've launched over a thousand shows, we can really see what's working and what's not in a way that others don't. And that, and then decide, well, what do we do with that? Is it useful? Can it turn into something that's great? That's what we're always looking for. But if I tried the model of what we did back in 2014 today, I, it would be way too much work still. It was a lot of work back then, but it would be way too much work still. And I don't think it would have the effective results that we got from it back then. Today, there's just a much more crowded market, and the way the search engines and, uh, and the charts and all those things work just don't work the same way that they did back then. So that's where I get frustrated because I, I see people who follow a lot of courses that were built back in 2014, 2015, and they haven't updated them. They don't work today. It's a very insightful point for anybody who's checking this out. And it's the same on the guesting side, by the way. If it's guesting in 2015 or 2016, it's not going to be the same game. You mentioned a little bit of saturation, and that actually makes me want to just kind of transition this conversation over to the guesting side a little bit. One quick question. Did you start guesting as soon as you started podcasting back back in the day, or is that something you did later on when it came to podcast so, guesting? Yeah, I guessed I think I I think I took about six months or so before I started guesting. Okay. So I never guested before I had my show. That was for sure. But I think it was probably about six months before I started guesting. But then I did this study where I did 12 shows in 12 weeks, all focused in the product design and development niche. And then I measured it and saw when one year later, I had done 
what would lead to a million dollars in sales from those 12 episodes that I guested on from clients that came from those shows. Congrats. So, That's amazing. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was just really an interesting. I did about $100,000 of actual sales, but then because their products and royalties and other things, it would have le- it led to eventually a million dollars total from that, from those guesting. And I think the guesting cost me $1,200. Very nice. Like, because I think it was a hundred dollars a show, so it was just, you know it was such a good test to the power of that. It's such a good point. Now, I, I, we mentioned saturation, and now podcast guesting is getting to the point where it's competitive. When you first started, you may have been the only person reaching out about some sort of product design or anything like that, right? And now. Not to to say that it's like your skill set isn't as valuable, but now there might be 20 or 30 people that can reach out the same thing because people are seeing the power of it. What what do you think is going on with with podcast guesting? Can you kind of speak to the transition you've seen happen over time? I'd I'd love your perspective on that. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I I get pitched every single day. So from the host perspective, I I can see where it's gone wrong, (laughs) you know, and where it's really gone wrong is is that somebody decided that a shotgun approach was fine along the way. And there's courses and advice about this. And they would just be like, just send out a mass amount of emails to every single email address in every RSS feed, whether or not it matters. And you'll just hit some and then it will work and it'll be fine for you. And that's the cheapest, easiest, fastest path. So so now I ignore every single email that goes to that email address because us hosts are smarter than that. We don't want to be inundated from all of you. So we have an address that is solely for the RSS feed, that is solely for the podcast. And we know that that's basically junk mail and an occasional engagement from a a listener, which is fantastic when that happens. But it's rare, so rare that I can have an entire almost junk mail address for all the guest (laughs) solicitations, right? And so I'm not even reading them. I just don't even read them because they're all about me, 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 me. And not about my show. And they don't understand it. So I love what you guys do over at Pod Pros and Podmatch because it's targeted. And that's what we need. We we need this really, really tightly targeted because why it worked for me to go on those 12 shows was because I personally picked those 12 shows. I knew their listeners were going to be right. I listened to their show. I knew they were going to be the right caliber for me. That's how I can translate that into a million dollars. And it didn't take that much time. It was 12 shows. I probably had a list of 20, and I narrowed it down to 12. Easy to do. But today, 95% of what you're going to pitch to either don't take guests or are pod faded. So if you do the shotgun approach, you're not even hitting the right amount of people, the right people anyway. And then you're alienating them. So it just doesn't work like that. And and they all think that it is. And they've ruined it for everybody. <laughs> you know, this is timeless advice that you're giving here, though. Like, I love the fact that you just picked the ones that were perfect. And I have nothing wrong with somebody getting on hundreds of shows a year. That's fine if that's what you want to do and you can see the growth for it. But if you got on the perfect 12 for you, like the perfect 12, would it relate to business like it did for Tracy? Like, that's, that's my question anyone listening or watching. Like, really ask yourself that. And, and maybe it's better to be more targeted and more precise versus spray and pray, right? Which is a model I also do not agree with. That's why I like the idea of find the niche, get into it where you know you can add value and, and pitch that host. And I'll tell you what, like, again, hosts are getting very smart. They can know almost by just reading your email if you're going to add value to their audience or not. Like, what you'll do to add value and how you'll show up, like, 
they can identify that. So anyway, I digress on that point because I want to ask <laughs> well, you something Well, no, I else mean, I, I think it's really true. From a host perspective, like even I can look at your Podmatch profile mm-hmm. and I can know, and I will just swipe left or whatever you do. You right. Say, Decline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is that you do that you make it so easy. Then they don't even like know it. But I can see from there whether they'll be right or not. Like it's that good. And then the ones like, and I, and I did a test. I started doing it this summer and I ended up with 12 guests that I invited on from, from doing that matching. And I probably, it was probably within the first month I matched the 12, like it was that easy. And all, every single one of them were, were amazing guests. And we all commented on the air about it. I think you're, you're, tool has been mentioned, I don't know how many times, like I stopped sending you emails saying that I mentioned you because it got to be so much, but it it was just the case where the match was so perfect that it was obvious. And that's really where you can get to. Now, I understand when you're starting out, you feel like I'll just take any guest, like it's okay, but I'm not that kind of, I've always been really picky and curated for both what I'm going to have on, who I'm going to have on my show and the shows that I'm going to spend my time on as well. I want to make sure I'm really adding value to their audience and I'm not just there to talk about anything. It's it's such a good point. I, I love the approach you take. And, and by the way, I stopped saying thank you for mentioning me because I I thought I was getting annoying. So I think that Pod <laughs> Pros okay. and Podatize just have this mutual agreement that we're thankful for one another. So that's right, um, absolutely. But again, publicly, grateful. thank you. I really appreciate y'all. You all have been a, a huge support to what we do. So thank you for that. Um, shifting gears, though, I wanted to also talk about because you kind of mentioned this, like you're probably reaching out to podcast hosts that are have pod faded, and, and the truth is like. Our, our data is a little bit different. I think you have better data than I do, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this over to you in a minute. But what I understand is since August 2020, we've had zero growth in active shows. It's still been around that 400K and maybe even a bit less at times, but it hasn't jumped over that number, at least what I've seen. And I, I posted about something that I, I called actively established, like a new category in podcasting. I'm, you know, It's not a real Apple category, but it's one that I'm like, I want to see the actively established shows. And I shared some data and you're like, hey, we're actually seeing this number. I'd love for you just to talk about like what's going on right now from a podcast host standpoint. Right. Well, so it's really interesting. So if we break the marketplace up and, and there's claims out there of semi, we're around 78% pod fade rate or whatever that might be is kind of the average that I hear out there. But from my perspective, when we break it out, what we would consider to be fitting that actively established category, which is... You know, to us, it's someone who posts regularly, publishes regularly. So even if it's a monthly show, it's at least once a month. Um, But they publish regularly and have published in the last 30 days. So like you have to have published in the or you're just not active. Right. Now, if your show is categorized as a season, we actually pull it out and look at them separately. And we have a different count for how long you've been in or out of season. And so we actually don't count anyone who's only had one season and then more than three months since that season. Also only very because smart. there's like so that. many of them right. that fall into the world who don't come back after three months and never come back. So they claim a season so that they can say, oh, I didn't pod fade. I just did a season. Like it's a, it's a tactic. Right. So we started <laughs> to exclude them from the group. But we very ended up smart. with about 311,000 podcasts in that active category. And 
The difference, though, is if you look at the two and a half million out there and you look at this 311,000, there's this real distinct difference between how far they go, how established they become. So the pod fade rate at or the average number of episodes that they've achieved are well over 25 on the 300,000 and really close to 11, which is that break number around 11 for the other side of the marketplace, for the pot fade. So they quit before they hit that mark of something that's going to be valuable to them. Because until you hit about 25 episodes or more, you really don't have a sense of your audience, a sense of what's working for you, a sense of where you're going to achieve your value from. You, you don't get settled into the process for yourself. You haven't got the tech all handled. You're still concerned about all those things. 25 episodes is a magic mark for that. Now, those of us who did one day a week, like we can accelerate through that and get it in two months, or it can be six months. It just depends on how you podcast, right? How fast you're going to learn that and get to that stable of information. But it is still the same. So those podcasters are achieving more. You know, I, I'm wondering, do you have any insight as to what helps a show bridge the gap from 11 to past that 20 some odd mark, right? Like, is there a way that you could look at a show and almost say, yeah, this one's going to make it. This one probably won't. I'm just wondering. I, I don't think there's any, you're not yeah. some sort of like podcasting God, Tracy. Okay. So like, there's no like definitive answer here, but I'm just wondering, is there some sort of indicator in your mind of what this looks like? And I think this is helpful for hosts to know if they fit that mold, but also for a guest, because a lot of us, myself included, I go on young shows sometimes and I like to be able to do that and be part of their early stage. What do you think? Is there any way for me to kind of tell? Yeah, so so this is kind of exactly how I use the Podmatch profile. So somebody comes in there, look, I want to support a young podcaster. So if they're brand new to this, I want to be there for them. But there are there are three indicators I look for. One, if they don't have a core website. So if they don't have a core website that that podcast is hosted on or is housed on, where they're promoting it out to their own audience and stuff. I know they probably have a weak email list. They probably have not done a great job of promoting the show and getting it out there. So that's kind of an indicator at first, that they just aren't putting it on their website in some way, shape, or form. And that's a problem. The second thing that I look for is then I go to their social channels. So if they're if they do have a website and it's obvious that they have social channels, that's easy because you just click through and you go check them out. But if not, your profile has their social channels on it. And so I'll click through those social channels because someone might be very, very weak on their website, but they may have a great Instagram. And so I don't want to like just preclude them based on that one piece of criteria. If they have both, Gem, easy choices to make. Like, I'm I'm there. Then the third thing, though, is I'll go and check their podcast profile. And what I'm looking for within that, in the podcast listing, I should say, is that they're posting consistently and constantly for all the dates so that they're week after week after week. For me, it's my personal choice that I won't go on a show that isn't weekly. So at least once a week, I just... I'm just not going to waste my time because they pod fade at a higher pace when they only do one a month. So it's just just an easy choice there. So if they're weekly, then it's great. If they're consistent about it, even better. And then the next thing I really check is how are they titling the episodes? That's the last criteria I have. If they're titling them with just my name, then it's a waste of my time. 
because it's not saying what I'm an expert in or any of those things. So if they've just done this kind of, then it's really what's in it for them is they want their name associated with my name. And it's not really what's in it for me to go and guest on that show. And that's my decision right there is like those simple things. And you can see it. It's really apparent. You know, that's so insightful. I I love that. I actually learned a little bit from that. So I'm going to be implementing some of what you shared. And I hope everybody listening and watching does the same. Uh, Tracy, this has been a super fun conversation. I just want to end with kind of the future of podcasting here. And as as an innovator, as a true thought leader in the space of podcasting, I just would love to know quickly what you think is next for this industry. Well, what we're working on next is actually putting this data that I was talking about into a format of which you can search through. So anyone can go and search through it and assess a score number based on what we see as the potential for that show to continue to grow. And whether they're on the decline or in the incline, right? Are they growing or are they sinking? So that you'll also know, are you catching a show on the upswing or are you catching a show that's kind of past its prime? And that I think is, you know, the charts mislead us. The charts have a lot of shows that have actually already pod faded and they haven't caught up to let us know that they're out of favor and there aren't really active listeners on there and they're not doing as well anymore. So the charts are totally misleading and we want to provide an antidote to that. So I think that that's the real case is if I can get, you know, I know I can't get everyone to listen to a show before they decide to go on it or I, it's just, I know it's a lot of work. So if I can give you my scoring system that I use internally and help you do that, that that's my ultimate goal is to empower the podcasters to grow their show, know exactly what they need, and the guests to be able to say, wow, this is going to be a perfect match for me. Then you know what? The listeners all win. And at the end of the day, the listeners decide. Like, it's, there's no question about it. If they're not listening to your show, that guest isn't getting heard. If they're not, you know, there's no advertisers, there's no sponsors, there's no fun for anyone if the listeners don't engage in that. So we all have to make the listeners happy. That's so good, Tracy. You deserve some sort of award in podcasting, I think, for like helping make the future better for us all. So anyway, I really appreciate what you do. I appreciate Podetize. Love the friendship partnership we have. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Alex. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit podpros.com slash 212. Then share the link with one person that you believe it would add value to. Until next time, thank you for listening.